0: It's been a while since we've done something like this, and I'm really thankful that you are all here and that you all worked very hard to sit as far away from me <laughs> as you possibly could. So, so good work on that. Um, I see you in the back, okay? Um, often... In events like this, it's really the simple sharing of space and time with a different subset of our congregation that proves to be the real, enduring, and lasting blessing. And so, um, thanks for being here this weekend. Thanks for giving us your weekend. And, And let me just encourage you, when we have breaks, when we move about between Breakout sessions when we pray together here in a little while, like, um, get to know some folks that you don't know, and um, find somebody with kids near the age of your kids, and find somebody in the stage of life that you're in, because, oh, do we need one another? Um, or maybe that's just the Mosleys. We, we need y'all, Okay. Um, deeply um, as we try to figure out um, parenting and loving a family and pointing others toward Christ. And so let the one another component of us sharing this time this weekend be um, one of the, the huge takeaways. Um, <clears throat> so our goal this weekend is to think about The gift of family and how we steward that gift well um, to pursue Jesus and to raise a next generation that pursues Jesus. That's what we all want. Like, amen, we're all on board? How do we get it going? So so we're going to get into the, the how do we get going. And um, let's just remember this. Like, where the Lord has placed us in life, um, single or in a marriage or with kids at home or with kids in school or with an empty nest, like, that is where God in His providence has placed us to grow, to be like Jesus, and to build his kingdom. And so let's see our place where we are as an opportunity, as a blessing, and as a gift. Um, As a blessing, as an opportunity, and as a gift. Uh, Understanding... um, that James 1 reality of count it all joy when you face hardship of many kinds because that's how the Lord is going to build steadfastness in us. Um, So maybe you need to go home tonight and grit your teeth and look over the crib of your child and say, you're how the Lord's going to produce steadfastness in me. And I celebrate you. And friends, I hope that kind of candor is not off-putting to you because that's where we are this weekend. Thanks for being here. Let me ask you a question. This is the discuss part. Why are you here this weekend? Because Austin is gonna rewrite his talk for tomorrow morning, right now, based on how you answer these questions. Not really, but... You up for the challenge? Okay. All right. Why are you here this weekend? If it's because your spouse made you come, just save that one, okay? Now. Yeah. Yes, Corinne. I'll give her an answer. I don't want to just get going. I want to keep going. Okay. Amen, sister. Amen. Yeah. How do we keep going? So encouragement, fellowship. God's vision, that's what we're after. Thank you, Corinne. Honesty's welcome. Leanne's in the honesty corner as well because parenting's hard. Notice all the moms and dads of teenagers are are piping in here. (laughs) Hashtag teenagers, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's some good news right around the corner, though, Haley. Like, you're not far away from, it's time for you to go upstairs and go to bed. And that just being all that that requires. You're not far, okay? It's a beautiful day, right, teenage parents? Yeah, okay. Um, all the young parents just got really happy. Like, that's possible? We can't do it alone. Okay, yeah, we can't do it alone. Thank you, Wayne. I wasn't just doing filler at the beginning when I said some of the lasting takeaway this weekend could be you finding another believer in the same stage of life as you that you didn't even know you had. Like, I think that could be huge. The you being everyone here. So Mike says strategies for the hard moments, like there's times that aren't hard, which is hopeful for me. Okay, so that's good. Yeah. Okay. Okay so Katie's bringing up cultural shifts and things that that are even changing yeah quickly yeah. okay Sonia Are you guys all hearing what Sonia's throwing out back there? Because this is great wisdom. Everybody hearing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Sonia said, and this is your first assignment, I don't want to raise a Pharisee. I want to raise kids that really know the Lord and really love him. Is that fair? Yeah. Guys, the last thing the world needs is more Pharisees. But the world needs people that know the Lord and love him deeply and are willing to sacrifice much for him. And that's that's the prayer. Andy, we're recording this, aren't we? And I didn't tell you that I was going to do this. So everybody who's listening online, it's my fault and not Andy's. You you can email complaints at RedeemerTN.org, and they'll go straight to Andy. Okay. Um, I'm doing my best. Yeah, yeah, okay. Anybody else? Okay. Friends, I'm glad that you're here. Um, you know, one of the things that makes me really happy is I see some NT nesters here, and I can't figure out if they're here because they love us or if they just want to gloat. I, I, can't, I can't figure out which one it is. Grandkids. Oh, grandkids. Grandkids. Okay. All right. Still learning is what you're saying, Sherry. I think uh, <laughs> what was that, Kyle? <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay. All right. All right. Well, guys, I'm glad you're all here. Um, everything that we've put together this weekend um, is intended us to help us think through the stewardship we have within our home uh, to point people, to point our families to Christ. Before we go there and, and consider the role of family, in making of disciples, I think we actually need to take a step back. And we need to ask this question. How does discipleship happen within groups of people? So before we think particularly about the family, we need to ask this question. How does discipleship happen within groups of people? Ultimately, here, we're thinking about how does discipleship happen within the church? Because if we have a wrong understanding of how biblical discipleship plays out within the church or within groups of people, then we're going to bring all of that being amiss into our family. So let me give you an example. If discipleship is enduring really long, boring sermons week after week after week, and that's it. And some of you are like, dude, we go to Redeemer, don't you know?" Uh, but then your vision of discipleship in your family is going to be everyone gather around and listen to dad give a small sermon to the whole family. That's cool if you can pull that off. Um, so I think it's important that we have a right understanding of how discipleship is in, works in, within groups of people. Um, so here at Redeemer, we have always said we exist to proclaim Christ and make disciples. So how does the church do that? That's really my question this evening. How does the church encourage and promote a culture of discipleship. And then what I'm going to contend is those answers are also going to begin to be the answer of how do a mom and dad promote a culture of discipleship within the family. So the answers are going to be very, very similar. So this morning, or excuse me, this evening, I'm going to talk to you about Promoting a Culture of Discipleship Within the Church. And then tomorrow morning, Austin is going to talk to you about promoting a culture of discipleship within your family. And then um, we have three sessions of breakouts that are intended to answer more practical, tangible hurdles and stumbling blocks that, that might pop up in this creating a culture of discipleship within your family. So everybody kind of see the method to the madness where we're headed? Okay. So, how are we at Redeemer hoping, praying, seeking to create a culture of discipleship? Um, Let me just say, writing this has been humbling because we are imperfect. And writing this has been humbling because... um, we have a long way to go as a church. But the end result of all of this is um, the culture of any church, the culture of Redeemer, can either encourage discipleship or it can hinder discipleship. And so we're wanting to wrestle with the ways that we can best promote and encourage discipleship. So... Let's define some terms. You have a note-taking page. This is as close to, as I ever get to crank the blank. It's, it's a page that says conference notes, okay? And your PowerPoint is that page that says discipleship and family conference, okay? So there you go. I'm gonna test your listening skills this evening. My wife is disappointed in me. Can can see it. Um, <laughs> we've been married 20 years. I can tell. Um, happily married for 20 years. So let's define some terms. First, if we're gonna talk about a culture of discipleship, we need to talk about what is a disciple. And so discipleship begins with disciples. And so literally, our word disciple means to follow a leader. And so in a biblical sense, a disciple is a sinner who has believed the gospel of Jesus been given new life by the Holy Spirit, and is following Jesus in his work to build the kingdom. So a disciple is a sinner who believes the gospel of Jesus. Think Galatians chapter 2, we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Is given new life by the Holy Spirit. And in faith and with the indwelling Spirit, follows Jesus into his work to build his kingdom in his world. So, discipleship is primarily about those who have been redeemed through the blood of Christ, walking with Christ into his world. So the leader of our discipleship is Jesus. The pace setter for our discipleship is Jesus. The the one who says where we should go and what our goals should be and what our desires should be is Jesus. So a disciple is one who has been, we might say in the South, been saved, and as one who has been redeemed, is belonging to Christ and walking with Christ as he builds his kingdom in the world. So that's what a disciple is. Discipleship then is the life of. We live where we follow Jesus in real space and real time. While Jesus doesn't physically dwell with us in real space and real time, discipleship is about using our days, our time, our lives, our possessions, our words, our actions, and all that we have to follow Jesus where he is going. To follow Jesus where he is going. And you might say, well, where is Jesus going? I see four things in the scripture. Jesus was always communing with his father. So he was always flexing the muscle of relationship with his father. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to follow Jesus into relationship with the father. Jesus was always doing the will, the work, the desires of his father. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to follow him toward doing the desires and the will of his father. Jesus was always inviting others to follow him. So if we're following Jesus, we will always be joining him in seeking to make new disciples of Jesus. And Jesus was always building the kingdom of God. Now this is something we spent a good 10 weeks before Christmas considering Here at Redeemer, the kingdom of God is this this work of bringing the, the, the blessings of God into this world. Jesus was always building the kingdom of God. So if we're to follow Jesus, we will always be seeking the kingdom that he is building. So the activities of discipleship are pursuing relationship with the Father Pursuing the will of the Father, seeking the kingdom of God, and seeking to make disciples of Jesus. Those are the things that Jesus was always doing, and those who are following him will follow him into those spaces. Um, A lot of times when we're talking about discipleship, we jump ahead to Bible reading, or we jump ahead to prayer, or we jump ahead to service, or we jump ahead... To evangelism. And and all those things are the practical outworkings of these things. but, But those are the things that disciples do because that's what Jesus was always doing. And those are the desires that he has for his children. So, in its most simple form, discipleship involves a group of people called disciples, a group of people who belong to the teacher who are following the teacher in his world, seeking to to live like and live for the work of the teacher. That's what discipleship is. So then that pushes us to our question for this evening. How does a community promote discipleship? How does a community promote discipleship? And the first thing I want to do is I want to challenge us to think clearly about what discipleship is and what discipleship is not. So, three negatives and one positive. Discipleship is not like a Classroom. Discipleship is not like a classroom. Meaning, discipleship doesn't work where we learn all the facts and we memorize all the truths and we pass our final exam and then, shazam, I'm a disciple and everything works out here on out. So, If you went to college, like think about syllabus day. Some of you love syllabus day, and the rest of us normal people hated syllabus day. But syllabus day said, this is what you're going to learn. This is what you're going to read. This is how you're going to digest it. And when you're done, you'll get a grade. And if it's an A, B, or C, you will never take this class again, right? Or is that just how I went to college? Discipleship is not a classroom activity like that. Now, there are certainly, we do have a faith that's built on truth. There is such a thing as a Christian worldview that is a foundation of our faith. But if we reduce discipleship down to a classroom activity, then we're going to default into this type of thinking. If I can just get all the right realities in will get the desired outcomes. So if I can just get you to think the right things, then you'll seek the kingdom of God. And I just don't think that that's enough. And I don't think that that's the way Jesus carried out his ministry. Um, So discipleship is not merely a classroom. Um, And if I'm honest, of all these false perceptions of discipleship, I think here at Redeemer, that's that's the misstep that we're most likely to make. It's just if we can just get our theology right and our I's dotted and our T's crossed. And by the way, I understand that when I blame Redeemer for something, I'm really blaming me. I get that get that. But I'm going to bring Bill Seaver into it. He's been here from the beginning too. So Bill, you're to blame also. Right, Melanie? That's right. Okay. Um, You can come sit up here if you want to, Bill. Feel blamed. Okay. Um, I love theology. I love truth. I love worldview. But they in and of themselves are a foundation for the house that is discipleship. But they in of themselves are not a full pledged, disciple-making reality. Everybody with me there? We get the nuance that we're trying to go to? Okay. Second, discipleship is not an assembly line. So think Ford Motor Company here. And at the beginning of the assembly line, they put some random parts on it, and it moves down the assembly line, and at each stop, something gets bolted together, something gets added on, and at the end of assembly line, boom, a full functioning car comes out. So it was some random parts, and when it comes out, it's a fully functional car that never goes back through the assembly line. Discipleship is not an assembly line for multiple reasons. One, because In the assembly line, the car does, I mean, the parts do absolutely nothing. They are completely passive. They're just on the conveyor belt, on the conveyor being worked upon. And there is a reality in which our our maturity is the Spirit of God working, but but that just passive lay on the conveyor belt and have it done to you doesn't square with the New Testament. And, and, And second an assembly line understanding of discipleship assumes that we get off at the end and we're done. Um, discipleship is not that. Um, second, third, um, discipleship is not a, a medical laboratory. Discipleship is not a medical laboratory. And this is very similar to our conveyor belt, except in the medical laboratory, what they're usually doing, while we're still passively sitting in the petri dish, they're trying to diagnose what's wrong with us and fix it so that we can be healed. And, Leanne, you're looking at me like I'm totally messing up the laboratory. Can we just go with it? Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, um, but, but again, the problem is this idea that We enter, we passively are worked upon, and then we leave completed, well, healed. Um, I don't think any of those three models of discipleship are going to cause us to think of it in the ongoing, lifelong, um, progressive, forever finding more joy as we're forever more freed from our sins since that we get when we take discipleship in a biblical sense. So so not a classroom, not an assembly line, not a laboratory. Um, The best illustration that I can come up with, I'm gonna actually borrow from um, Eugene Peterson's book, Uh, A Long Obedience in the Right Direction. And he says that a disciple is like someone at the... worksite of a master craftsman progressively learning the skills of the craftsman so that he can do them. So, discipleship, not a mere classroom, not an assembly line, not a laboratory, but it is like, like being apprenticed to a master craftsman um, learning the skills of the craftsman in such a way that we can do those same things. We can walk in those ways. So discipleship then is about learning a skill. The skill is to walk with Jesus in his world. Here's the best news that i have to share with you discipleship is a community project it does not and is not intended to happen in isolation discipleship is a community it's a community project starting in with jesus himself he called multiple people to come and follow him. And together, they followed him. Together, they learned his way. Together, they learned to seek his kingdom. In the book of Acts, we get a group of believers learning together what it means to be the church, what it means to be the people of God. So discipleship is a community project. Um, one of the things that's becoming more and more clear to me is that we are all shaped by the community that surrounds us. We're all shaped by the community that surrounds us. Um, And we can think in terms of large macro communities and small micro communities. Um, Our friend group, they shape us. The people we work with, they shape us. The people in our class at school, they shape us. The people on our sports team, they shape us. The people in our family, they shape us. The people in our neighborhoods, they shape us. The people in the clubs we join, they shape us. By the way, I'm not shouting that from a a fundamentalist, like, build massive hedges and keep, your people out of all the things kind of perspective, that shaping can be good or it can be bad or it can be somewhere in the middle. But social science, experience, and a lot of modern research is just shouting to us that the community that we keep shapes us. And and particularly, It's the culture of the community we keep that shapes us. It's the attitudes and the behaviors of a group of people that are rubbing off on us with attitudes and behaviors that shape what we say and do and how we live. That's just reality. And so then when we take up a biblical topic like discipleship and we try to put that into the context of the church, what we're saying is, Church, community, the the company that we're in, it shapes us. And it can shape us toward Jesus and toward the word and toward prayer and toward obedience and toward faith and toward hope. Or it it can shape us toward other things. But the community that we keep, the culture of the community that we keep, shapes us. So everybody everybody with me so far? Discipleship is like this long, progressive learning of a skill such that we can actually live out the skill and community, the, the community that we keep is vitally important in our discipleship. Community shapes us. So what is the culture, what's the community that we see in the New Testament that shapes the church of Jesus, that that shapes and molds disciples into faithful followers of Christ? I, I would say it this way. The culture of the church in the book of Acts is God's people, empowered by God's spirit, seeking God's word and God's intervention to engage in God's work. What we see in the book of Acts is first God's people. We see a people who have met Christ and through faith have been made alive. These are the people who belong to God through faith in Jesus. And in the book of Acts, those people, those who have been made the people of God, they are together and they are empowered by God's spirit. The, the, The movement in the early church was the pouring out of God's spirit upon all who believed. God's spirit filled them with fruit and filled them with faith and filled them with power. And so what in the book of Acts were God's people doing when they were together and empowered by God's spirit? What were they doing? Almost everything. Every time. Praying. And hearing God's word, right? Like there's this, this ongoing reality in the book of Acts of the apostles teaching God's truth to God's people. So you have these disciples empowered by the spirit. And in their gatherings, they're seeking God's word, and they're crying out to God for his intervention. And and what does God do in and through those disciples? He sends them out into his work. So the culture of the church in the book of Acts is God's people, God's spirit, God's word, in prayer, and God's work. So God's people empowered by God's Spirit, seeking God's Word, and engaging in God's work. This is the culture that is going to promote and encourage discipleship. A culture of God's people, God's Spirit, God's Word, and God's work from His people. And so, that sounds good. Give me that, right? Give me that. How do we get this culture? How do we get this culture? I believe the biblical answer is we build communal habits that shape personal habits that shape who we are so that we live for God's glory and God's kingdom. The big takeaway that I want us to see tonight is our community shapes us and it's the practices of our community that will most shape who we are. Are. So, that, that's what I want you to see and take from this evening. Now, we're going to get into some of the practicals in just a minute, but, but hear this as clearly as you can. The community of Christians that I surround myself with is going to shape who I am. And so, that community in and of itself won't make me a disciple but it will either promote my it will promote discipleship or it will be a hindrance to discipleship and as much as possible we want to be a community that celebrates the gospel because the gospel makes us God's people We want to be a community that celebrates and seeks the work of God's Spirit because we need the power of His Spirit. We want to be a people that seeks to hear from God in word and prayer because we need to hear from God in word and prayer. And then we want to be a people who actively engage in God's So the making of disciples isn't magic. It's not this formulaic process where if we do it all right, we get all the results that we desire. But rather, the making of disciples is a commitment to be the community of the gospel, the people of the Spirit, the people seeking God, and the people engaging in God's work again and again and again and again. And, it, and it's as, as we function together in these ways that we will promote discipleship within our congregation. Now, that still leaves us at this question, how are we going to do? How are we going to do it? That sounds good on paper, right? Like we want to be the community that shapes. But how are we going to do it? So about two years ago, I read a very accurate and helpful book called Desiring the Kingdom by by a man named James Smith. Here's what he says, and I I think I found it very, I, I find it very biblical And very helpful for us. What Smith says is this: the goal of the church is to live for the kingdom that Jesus is building. Like, like we all have to say, like, yes, that's right. The goal of the church is to live for the kingdom that Jesus is building. But then he goes one step further, and he says this: we always do what we love most. We always do what we love most. So for Jamie to live for the kingdom, I have to love the kingdom more than other things. Like it, That must be the love of my heart. And then for a group of people to pursue and live for the kingdom, we have to love the kingdom more than we love other things because we're going to do what we're going to pursue that which we love most. It's a very biblical reality. It's a very church history reality. So how do I get to love Christ and his kingdom and the things of his kingdom? This is what Smith suggests, and I think he might be right. He says this. It's my habits which shape my life. Love. It's, it's the things that I do habitually that shape what I love, what I pursue. Ah, so Christian, read your Bible. Why? To shape my heart toward Christ and His kingdom. That's why. Christian, pray. Why? To shape my heart toward dependence upon the Lord in all things. That's why. Christian, repent of your sin. Confess your sin. Seek reconciliation. Why? To turn my heart toward the Lord in all things. So if we stop there... What we have is a very isolated personal reality. My heart shaped by my habits. Smith goes one step further. He says, Our habits are shaped by the practices of the community that we immerse ourselves into. Our habits are shaped by the practices of the community that we immerse ourselves into. Um, we got any CrossFit people here? The one, there's more. Put your hand up, Barrett. I see you there. Okay. I mean, like, this, this is what you guys are paying for, right? A community that practices the right realities and, and strongly encourages it in such a way that you value it and you do it in such a way that it reshapes how you think about fitness and such, right? So, so this, is, this is just a reality, that it's the practices of the community that shape our habits, and it's our habits that shape the aim of our lives, the target that we live for. I, I think this fits into a very biblical reality. So here at Redeemer Church, we think of our gatherings, we think of our meetings as communal practices, as communal practices that are intended to encourage and pour gasoline on and breathe life into the lives of those who participate. So when we gather on Sunday morning and we sing and we pray and we confess our sin, and we collect an offering, and we listen to God's word, like we are engaging in those practices, one, because we want the Lord to work through them, but also, two, we want those practices to have an an impact on each person present such that we'll do those things in our own lives. And... Then, in our membership process, we call for habits within the members of our community because we believe that those habits are A, biblical, and B, they will push our members to love the Lord and love his word and love his work and love his kingdom and go live for it. So we say that we would like to see every member of Redeemer in active discipleship. Not just going to a group, but in active discipleship. We would like to see every member of Redeemer engaged and present in the community of believers. We would like to see every member of Redeemer intentionally serving the work of the church and the building of God's kingdom. We would like to see every member of Redeemer engaging in a missional lifestyle of sharing the hope of Christ with those who are far from Christ. <clears throat> and we would like to see every member of of Redeemer, giving tangibly and financially to the work of God's kingdom. So active discipleship, an engaged presence, intentional service, missional lifestyle, kingdom giving. These are five biblical habits that we call for because we believe that actively engaging those habits will aim our desires and our hearts and our longings toward Christ and his work. And what we are eager for is a group of people who are committed to Christ and his work. And so then with those desired habits, we want our gatherings, our small groups, our classes, our trainings, our seminars to be a communal practice that encourages those personal habits that attune our minds and our hearts and our lives toward Christ and his work in all things. So really tonight, I haven't said anything new, except I'm trying to to piece this together. Five habits don't equal excellent disciple. Five habits will attune and shape and work in the heart of a person to focus them, give them a new desire to pursue the Lord. The gatherings of the church don't in and of themselves do all the work of making disciples, but they will encourage and spur on the habits of that which will shape us to pursue the Lord. So I guess what I'm ultimately saying is if we want a culture of God's people, empowered by God's spirit, seeking God's word and engaging in God's work, then what we can do is faithfully engage the the communal, the gatherings of Redeemer that, that spur us toward faithfulness and we can take seriously a calling to active discipleship, engaged presence, intentional service, missional lifestyle and kingdom giving and say that the Lord wants that habit from me and I will take up those habits even when I don't feel like it such that I will be encouraged to move Let's get very tangible. Have you ever been in a study, a group, where it was expected that you would read the Bible regularly? Anybody? Did you read the Bible more regularly while you were in that group? Did reading the Bible attune your heart to Jesus more? Would your spouse say you were more faithful to Christ because of that? Okay. Okay. Communal practice, creating personal habit, which aims our love at the kingdom, and we're growing as disciples. You ever gone on a mission trip? What happens on a mission trip? You're forced to do things you would never, ever do. Right? Anybody been on the trip? Anybody just do it because the rest of the group was doing it? Anybody see the Lord work in a way that they didn't expect while engaging and sharing the gospel or displaying the love of Jesus on the mission trip? Did that embolden you to want to live that way in your life when you got home? Yeah. So the together. Habit shaping the personal habit, which pushes us to long for what God would want from us anyway. I think that's the reality of how we're made. And so what I want us, how I would love for us to think about discipleship is this. I'm a lifelong learner, a lifelong apprentice to Christ. To learn how to faithfully trust him and represent him in his world. Could you silence my phone there, Michael? Early in. Thank you. It was me. It was me. Um, And then to say, to say, the community that I surround myself in will either promote or hinder discipleship in me and in others. So I want to immerse myself into a community that's going to encourage discipleship. And not hinder it. That community will look like it will do things that will push me to live out biblical habits that will draw me to the Lord and the things of the Lord. And that's the community that I want to be a part of. Now, as we conclude, When I'm talking about communities with cultures and making disciples, we all think of Redeemer. That's a community. But then there are other smaller communities within Redeemer and outside Redeemer that we are a part of. If you're in a community group, that's a community. If you're in a Bible study, that's a community. If you're in a mom's Play group that goes to a playground, that's a community. If you're on a prayer chain, that's a community. If you got some people that you work out with, that's a community. If you're on a sports team, that's a community. So here's the question. Number one, evaluate your communities. All of And your tool of evaluation is this. Are they promoting or hindering discipleship in me? And now our takeaway from this evaluation is not, so let's get out of all the non-Christian communities. We can't be faithful to the New Testament if we go there. But... Evaluate your communities. Are they hindering or promoting a culture of discipleship? Now, that's a kind of comfortable question for us, right? Oh, that community's helpful. I like it. That one, not so much. I'm going to have to find a replacement for it. All right, now number two. Evaluate your contribution the culture of your community. Now oh, that's, oh, Jamie, I don't like that one. That one's uncomfortable because now you're suggesting that I might be a part of the problem in my community. Maybe so. Evaluate. The time that you spend in your communities and evaluate, is that fruitful and helpful and balanced and best? So evaluate your communities. Evaluate your contribution to the culture of your communities and evaluate the time you spend there. I'm intentionally approaching discipleship from a very different way than we often talk about it. I'm intentionally not just saying do the right habits, make the right commitments, and if you don't, you need to repent, get the right habits, make the right commitments, and if you don't, repent, and get the right habits. What I'm saying Put yourself in a community of brothers and sisters who are going to encourage, shape, bludgeon, if needed, you to participate in communal habits that are biblical and right and good, which are going to push you to do biblical things in your personal life, which I believe that when we go to the word and we go to prayer and we repent of our sin and we serve others and we share the gospel and we take the gospel and we give and we, I believe when we do those things, Jesus will meet with us and he'll shape us and his spirit will work. So I'm saying if you want greater discipleship Before we get into trying harder, let's go backward a little bit to what communities am I a part of? And are they promoting or hindering discipleship in me and in others? Because the beautiful thing about a community is I should want your growth as much as I want mine. So a takeaway from this might be that you need to call Austin and tell him that your community group is terrible. It is not a, cult- a discipleship cultural reality, and you want another one. But before you make that call, I want you to ask the question: How can I contribute it? How can I contribute to it being a culture? That encourages discipleship. At the end of the day. What we want for Redeemer. When we say we exist to proclaim Christ. And make disciples. Is we want to be a culture. That has subcultures. That promote. Intentional. Joyful. Following of Jesus. For those who are a part of them. very imperfect but that's what we're after and every time you come to one of our gatherings we are doing things that we hope shape your living day by day so we open the word and we pray and we sing those hoping those communal habits shape your personal habits Now, parents, this is the hard word that I'm going to leave for Austin tomorrow morning. I'm just going to throw the hand grenade and go sit down. Your family is a community with a culture. Is it going to promote or discourage discipleship? The same questions work the mechanics are a bit different but the same questions work and that's going to be tomorrow's focus